So I'm doing the, the last talk here in our series through the book of Exodus, um, and I'm going to focus in on the last five chapters of that book. But before I jump into that, I just want to do a quick like overview of the whole book of Exodus, because really it's it's not just a story about the Israelites, it's really a story about all of us. It's the story about mankind, it's the story about each one of us individually, because just as the Israelites were... Um, slaves in Egypt, they were in a physical slavery where they were forced to build temples and idols to false gods. Um, we're, we're also slaves. And whether it's not really a physical slavery, although we feel it often in our physical existence, um, we're spiritual slaves. We're slaves to sin. We're slaves to... Um, we, we find ourselves building temples to false gods and Building up idols and rather than worshiping God. And that's, and we're in slavery to that. And just as the Israelites were, um, at risk of losing everything, they were at risk of losing their heritage and, um, all of their wealth and their, even their identity as the people of God. Um, cause he had made promises to this people through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and now they're in this place where it doesn't seem like any of that stuff's going to be possible. Um, we're also at risk of losing our identity and who we are in God. But there's good news. Uh, God sent Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt, and he sent Jesus to deliver us out of our slavery. Um, and Moses was a good deliverer. Jesus is the perfect deliverer. So that's good news for us. Um, and just as, you know, like in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, and that's similar to us getting baptized in water when we come to faith. Um, and just as Israelites... When things weren't going the way they thought they should go in the desert, they grumbled and they complained. And none of you probably do that, but sometimes I do that. I grumble and complain when things aren't going my way. Um, we see that the Israelites, when they didn't, when they didn't see God responding as fast as they wanted to, when Moses was on the mountain, they took gold and they made a calf because they, they wanted to fashion something to worship that they could touch and see and understand. And we do that. Sometimes we take God and we don't understand everything about him, so we try to make him into our own image and we create false idols that are not God, but we worship them anyway. Um, and just as Moses mediated for the people, Jesus is mediating for us in heaven right now. Um, and, I mean, I think the big one is that through the tabernacle, which is what we're going to talk about mostly, is um, this plan that God had to build the tabernacle and how the people built it. But through the tabernacle was the plan to atone for the people's sins so that God could dwell with them. And um, through the the sacrifices of and the slaughter of sheep and bulls and the spilling of their blood, their sins were atoned for. But through Jesus... Our sins have been atoned for, not temporarily, but perfectly and forever and eternally through Jesus. So um, there's a lot of similarities there as we look through Exodus and we look at our own lives and our basically our walk and journey into um, a relationship with God. So um, as I look through these last five chapters, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I really wanted to talk about. And so I'm going to actually end up preaching like four mini-sermons. Um, so I'm going to go through it really fast. There's going to be a lot of scripture um, and no cute stories or uh, sports illustrations. So, <laughs> um, so sorry about that if you, that's what you came for. Um, anyway, so first of all, Exodus 35. The first thing that we see in Exodus 35 is that God has a plan. And Tim talked about this a couple weeks ago when he preached um, on chapters 25 through 31 was God was giving this plan to Moses. And then in 
35 through 40, we see that the people actually do everything according to God's plan. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time talking about the actual plan that God had for building the tabernacle, but I will say that it's really important for us that this is the starting point, that we acknowledge the fact that God does have a plan and that his plan matters. Um, I think the first two chapters of Genesis make this really clear. Um, God made everything, and he made it a specific way, and he had specific expectations. Um, And I could spend the next hour just talking about God's sovereignty and why his plan matters and why we should care, but we don't have time for that. So I'm just going to, here's a couple verses or passages that I found that I like that I think kind of highlight this. So the first one is in Isaiah uh, chapter 45 says, this is God speaking. He says, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? So, I mean, who are we really to argue with God about what he's doing? Because he's made everything. Um, here in Colossians 1, um, it says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's true. And here's here's one that's actually part of a prayer that the apostles prayed um, after they've been persecuted in Jerusalem. And this passage I, I like because it really underlines the fact that God's plan has always been about redeeming people, um, especially through the work of Jesus. So Acts 4. Acts 4. Uh, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So from the beginning of time, God had a plan to redeem people through Jesus. Um, so actually the kids over here in the three to six year old class over the, over the summer, they've been learning about this truth that God has a plan and that he's in charge. And, um, so if you have any questions about this, this topic, you could just talk to them or better yet, just ask to look at the book that they were making. Here's the, here's the book. Uh, and I think the title of the book like sums this up perfectly, right? God made it and he's the boss. Okay. No more questions. That's it. That's all we need to talk about, right? So, um, so if we start off with that as the framework for everything that we're going to talk about, that God made it, so He's in charge, and we need to pay attention to that. Then uh, that brings me into the, the kind of my next point, which is God invites us into obedient participation. So, because God made everything and He's in charge, He could just make us obey him or make us do things, but he doesn't do that. He actually gives us the opportunity to choose to obey. And we see that here in Exodus uh, chapter 35, where, uh, so Moses said, here's what God commands, and then here's what God commands. He says, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And we see a similar um, theme here in Second Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, when Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for for God loves a cheerful giver. So in both of these passages, we see that God has expectations that we would be generous and that we'd give to his work. But in both cases, he says, you know, you have a choice. Choose to give to me cheerfully, not out of compulsion. Um, And we see that all throughout 
Scripture. God wants us to obey Him. God has specific expectations for us, but um, He leaves it up to us to, to decide because He wants us to choose obedience. He wants us to choose to participate with Him. Um, in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, not to tempt Adam and Eve, but to actually give them the opportunity to choose to obey him. Because there's actually a joy in obedience that is not available if we don't actually have the option to choose to disobey. Does that make sense? Like, actually choosing to obey God, is there's something there. Like, he demonstrates his love to us by allowing us to choose to reject him or to accept him. Um, and so, in this story, um, well, I mean, we could we could talk about this tension, right, between free will and God's sovereignty. Um, like, there's this tension there. We could spend all day and probably all week talking about it, right? So, here's a couple of here's a couple of passages that I found that might help just like help us run through this real quick. So, Proverbs 16, verse nine. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So really, God allows us to make choices, but then at the end of the day, he determines the outcomes of those choices. So in his sovereignty, whatever choice we make, whether it's a good choice or a bad choice, he uses that choice then to accomplish his will. Um, and it's, I've found, and you probably have found this too, that it's easier to choose his way because either way, he's going to get his way, right? And if we just push against him, we're fighting against the God who created the universe, which usually doesn't turn out well for us. But um, So here's another passage. Second um, Peter it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So it's always been God's desire that people would turn in repentance to him and follow him. And uh, I think that's really underlined really well in this Ezekiel passage. It says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Like So throughout everything, he allows us to make a choice. There are consequences if we choose to disobey. But he wants us to choose the right thing. And we see that in this passage too. So, Moses commands the people, he says, God wants to take up an offering. He wants everyone who's willing to bring something. And and then this is what the Exodus passage tells us. It says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And then they came back, everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved in him. And they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for all the holy garments. And so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins, they brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood for any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. 
and all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had command, that Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Um, Moses underlines multiple times in this passage that it was a free will offering. Six times he actually says that with a willing heart or because their heart stirred within them. Um, Because he's underlining the fact that the people didn't bring their offerings because they felt obligated or because they were doing it out of guilt or whatever. They did it because they wanted to. And um, I think that the, the generosity of Israelites in this passage is remarkable because if you think about it, just a few chapters earlier, pretty much the whole book of Exodus, you see this people who God's doing amazing things for, and they turn and they respond by complaining or grumbling or whining, and they're definitely not content, and they don't appear to be very generous, but something happened in their hearts um, after the whole incident with the golden calf that they changed. Like they went from this people who were worshiping false gods and constantly complaining against God to a people who, when God commands something, they came and they just started dumping everything that they had um, to Moses. Um, it's uh, they didn't only willingly choose to participate though by giving their their material wealth. They also chose to participate by giving up. Um, their time and their energy and their labor. I mean, I think it's it's really interesting to see that uh, in Exodus 36, Moses actually had to command the people, or for, actually it says forbid. Moses had to forbid the people from bringing any more stuff to the offering. Like, so I mean, they're just dumping all this wealth out, and then Moses is like, "Nope, stop! You got to stop being generous. Don't be so generous." I mean. <laughs> It's amazing, but they didn't only like dump out all their wealth. They also like took all their time and their energy and their skill, and they dumped it out to making this. And I think that this is true um, of us today. That like God wants this from us. He wants us not only to be generous with our our like material wealth, but He wants us to be generous with the skills that He's given us and with our time. And we see this um, throughout the New Testament. Here's a few passages from the New Testament that I think. Um, apply here. In Colossians 3, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Um, and 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Um, and then here's Romans 12, 1-2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a lifting sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Um, so God is asking us to take everything and offer it up to him as a sacrifice to him. But not because we have to or because we feel obligated to, but because we really want to. Um, And so right about now, some of you are thinking, well, that sounds great, (laughs) but I don't feel like I have anything else left to give, um, especially to the work of building the church or whatever God's called me into. Like, I feel like God's called me to do this thing, and it's hard, and I'm physically exhausted i'm emotionally exhausted i'm financially spent like i just don't have anything else to give or maybe you don't even you're just like i just don't even have the desire i don't even want to do what god's asked me to do but here's good news okay it's my next point uh 
God provides everything that you need to be obedient. So he calls us to do things, and then he gives us everything we need to do to be able to obey him and to trust him. Um, so, you know, I mentioned how the Israelites' hearts changed, and he did that for them. The, you know, it says that they all came with a willing heart, or whose heart stirred them. But there's a couple of phrases in there in that section of Scripture that actually says that the Spirit stirred them. And so... Um, God did something in their hearts, and God will do something in our hearts. Like He wants to do something in our hearts, and actually, our ability to even have a desire to want to obey God or turn to God in repentance is a gift from Him through the Holy Spirit. Like He's transforming us and making us receptive to Him. Um, so He changes our hearts, but He does more than that. Um, I mean. With the Israelites, these are people who were spent generations in slavery, and now they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they have all this wealth that they're just dumping out toward this project. And so I was thinking about where they got all this wealth, and um, you know they <laughs> they had just gotten done taking a whole bunch of gold and dumping it in a fire and turning it into a golden calf. And then Moses comes off the mountain, he sees the golden calf, gets mad, breaks the golden calf up and grinds it into gold dust, and dumps the dust in their water and makes them drink it. It's like all of that gold's completely out of the picture here. Right? So whatever wealth they came out of Egypt with, there's a whole bunch of it they just wasted, and now they've ingested. And so... Um, but they're still just, they keep bringing and bringing and bringing, and they have so much wealth. And then, you know, Moses has to forbid them and say, stop bringing wealth. So so I was thinking, like, okay, so how much wealth are we really talking about here? And so I did some research, and um, I got on the Internet, and I found out the value of what Moses says was used to build the tabernacle of just gold, silver, and bronze, because those are the only three things I could actually find real value for right now. But in, in addition to gold, silver, and bronze, there's, like, all the precious stones, there's all the high-priced fabric and linen and all of the oils and spices. I mean, all that stuff had massive value. Even the wood. I mean, you're in the desert, so the wood is valuable. Um, and so all of that stuff, I don't know what the value of that is, but just the gold, silver, and bronze that went into the tabernacle. This isn't what like they still kept or what they drank. Um, just what went into the tabernacle building, it was $105 million in today's economy. Like... These people are wandering around the desert with millions of dollars worth of like material wealth, um, and they were it was miraculously given to them by God. So in Exodus 11, God tells Moses, He says, "Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry." And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And then in Exodus 12, as the people are leaving. Um, Moses writes this down. He says, And then the people of Israel had done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And I like this part. And so they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So the, the Israelites, as they were leaving Egypt, like the Egyptians are saying, get out of here. Like they're pushing them out of here. And they plundered e- Egypt. And so as I was thinking about this, um, there's a few... A few things in here that, okay, these are going to be rabbit trails, but it's all right. I won't go down them too far, okay? So one is, like, how did all of this wealth end up in Egypt? And so if you think about this, generations before the Israelites leave Egypt, Joseph 
is sold into slavery into Egypt, is given a dream about this worldwide famine. He goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, there's going to be a famine. Here's what we need to do to make sure that the Egyptians don't starve. And and Pharaoh says, okay, yeah, you're in charge of everything. Do whatever you think is right. And so Joseph puts into place all this stuff. So Egypt is the only place on earth that has food during this famine. So then all of the leaders and governments of all the world bring all of their gold and their silver and their precious jewelry and everything and dump it in Egypt because they want food. So now the wealth of the world is concentrated in Egypt. Hundreds of years before this is going to happen. And so it's like God has a plan. He's like, okay, I need my people to have gold and silver and bronze and precious stones. So I'm going to make sure that it's there in Egypt so that when it's time for them to come out of slavery, the Egyptians will have all of the stuff that they can just give to the Israelites. Like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's wild. Um, so there's that reality. Like, God is got an amazing plan. Okay, then there's this other reality that the that the Israelites are wandering around the desert with millions of dollars of gold and silver and bronze and fine linen and whatever, right? And the first thing we see them do when they get out in the desert is start complaining that they're going to starve and they don't have water to eat, right? Like they have all I mean they have the wealth of a nation material wealth of a nation, and they don't have food. And they have nowhere to get food. And um, I think God put that in there to remind us that the things that we find security in, the earthly material things that we try to find security in, have no value. And in fact, um, somebody reminded me of this, that in Deuteronomy, when Moses is talking about why that happened, like why the people were, like why God withheld stuff from the people so that he had to give them manna and why he had to give them water from a rock, he said it was because he wanted them to understand that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that flows from the the mouth of God. And so it's like this reality that they had all of this wealth, but what they really needed was to trust God. And he is the only one who could provide what they really needed. Um, so anyway, we'll get back to the point, okay? <laughs> um, so God doesn't only provide us with the material wealth that's necessary to do what he asks us to do, right? Like so He gave them all the material wealth. If God asks you to do something, he's going to give you what you need. But he's going to give you more than just stuff. He's going to actually give you the skills that you need. And we see that here um, in Exodus 2. It says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Be- Bezalel, the son of Ur, son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft he has inspired, and he has inspired him to teach. So he took this guy and he gave him skills in like every type of craftsmanship known at the time. One guy, like all that knowledge, he just gave it to him. And then he also gave him the ability to teach that to other people. And then he also did that with Oholiab. Um, he gave him also the same skills and the ability to teach. And it says he filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver and by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So God not only gave them all of the materials that they needed to build the tabernacle. He gave them all of the skills. Um, and I don't know if this is true or not, but this is this is my 
what if, okay? So these people were in slavery in Egypt, and part of what they were doing was building um, basically the pyramids and the the temples to these foreign gods, right? These false idols. Like, it makes me wonder, did they learn some of these skills building things for false gods that God then took those skills and, like, redeemed them in the desert? I don't know if that's true, but it's kind of cool to think about, right? Um, so this is true not only of the Israelites then, but God does the same thing for us. Like he asks us to do all kinds of things, but he never says, go do this and then say, figure it out. He gives us what we need. Um, and that would be true of the church today. And here's some uh, verses from the New Testament that I think prove that. So Ephesians 4, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. So there's those of us in this room right now that God's given specific skills to to do things, but he's also given us specific skills and the ability to teach those skills to others. So like if you're gifted to be an evangelist and you think this church needs to be more evangelistic, then you should teach some people how to be an evangelist. If you're gifted in the prophetic, then you need to teach other people how to be prophetic because that's, that's God's design. That's how, that's what he did with the Israelites and that's what he's doing with us today as we build the church. Um, here's another passage. In 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of those tongues, and all these things are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So God gives us the gifts that we need, and he picks and chooses who needs to have what gift at what time. Um, And we just need to trust him. But he doesn't only just give us the gifts that we need to build up the church. He actually gives us everything that we possibly could need in order to... um, live a life of holiness and submission to him. In 1 Corinthians uh, 10.13, this is a really helpful verse. Um, so no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God's given us the ability to resist temptation and to get out of temptation. Like, there's, we don't really have an excuse to sin other than that we just want to. <laughs> um, and then here, this is a really good one. You should write this one down and read through this. Um, every time you feel like you don't have the ability to do what you think God's asked you to do, here's a good verse. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. God's given us everything that we need in order to obey him. Um, which brings me to my final point is, so if God's really uh, called us and invited us in to participate with him through obedience, and he's given us everything that we need to be obedient, then the details must matter. Um, what he's called us to do has to matter, and it's important that we um, do that. And we see that here in this passage um, in Exodus, that uh, the people followed God's instructions precisely. Um, so after the Israelites had 
built all the pieces for the tabernacle. The tabernacle itself, the furnishings, the clothing for the priests, like they mix up the incense and the anointing oils. They got all that stuff and they bring it to Moses and they say, okay, here it is. It's done. And this is what Moses says. And he says, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw, saw all the work and behold, they had done it. And as the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. So as you read through Exodus 35 through 40, um, if you've ever done like read through the book of Exodus, you'll get to Exodus 35 and 40 and you'll read that and you'll think, wait, didn't I just read this? Because it's almost exactly like Exodus 25 through 31. So God gives Moses the instructions in 25 through 31, and then 35 through 40, the people do exactly like what God told Moses. And it's almost like word for word the same. And that's because... Moses is underlining the importance of doing everything the way that God said. Like, God has a plan. He has specifications. We need to do it according to his specifications. Um, and Moses was really, uh, he was really careful to make sure he relayed God's instructions to the people. And then he went back and he checked and he made sure the people were doing it exactly the way that God had commanded. Um, Actually, that phrase, just as the Lord commanded, shows up 18 times in those, like, I don't know, 20 verses or 30 verses. Like, so it's just as God commanded is massively important in how you build something. Um, it was massively important in how they built the tabernacle um, because the tabernacle was actually the thing that God said, okay, we're going to build this because this is going to be how your sins are atoned for and this is how I'm going to be able to dwell in your midst. And you gotta get it right. And that would be true of us today. Like, God says, here's the way of salvation, and we have to get it right. Um, I don't think that the people necessarily understood all the details. Like, they didn't understand why there had to be this many rings, and why they had to be that size, and why this veil had to be that color, and this gate had to be that color, you know, and like, I mean, there's all these intricate details about how, you know, what's supposed to be carved on the side of the ark, and what's supposed to be on, you know, all these things. I don't think they understood why they didn't have to understand the why they just had to understand that this is what god said so we're going to do it they didn't have to understand why spilling the blood of sheep and bulls somehow atoned for their sin but they did it because they believed that god said if they did it it would do something um and i think that's proven in the fact that just a few chapters earlier these people i mean this is the same people who when god said I want to talk to my people. They said, no, we're not going anywhere near that mountain. Moses, you go up and talk to God. Then you come back and you tell us what he said because he's too scary and we don't want to go anywhere near him. Um, these same people who were afraid to hear from God on a mountain are now like investing all of their material wealth and all their time and all their energy to build a tent to go in the middle of their camp where God's going to come and sit and rest and like, dwell among them so they believe that whatever god's instructions were that he gave to moses were going to do something that would keep them safe in the like and allow god to be in the midst of their camp i mean this is really good news for them and it's really good news for us because the reality is that um God has a plan, and when we follow his plan precisely like it allows him to dwell with us and us to dwell with him um the, I mean, can you imagine if like the women who were weaving the fine linen said, well, God's pattern's alright, but I think this other pattern would be better, so let's do it this way, you know? Or, you know, like, guys are bringing all the gold stuff that they got from 
Egypt. And they're like, hey, these vessels are pretty cool. Let's not melt them down. Let's just use them the way they are because, you know, like we can melt them down and make them the way God said, but, you know, let's just do it this way. We cut a corner here. These are already done, right? These will hold water just as well as those, you know. Um, they didn't do that because they knew that, like, do it like God said or don't do it at all. Um, and I think that's really important for us to get right right now, especially, like, we live in this culture right now where um, it feels like everybody wants to rewrite everything to fit their agenda. <laughs> um, and it has seeped into the church. Like, it... It's here, it's like we see it, where people read through the Bible and you're like, well, I understand that, so yeah, I like that. That I don't really like, so I'm going to ignore that part. And this I might rewrite. And and we're picking and choosing what parts of who God is and what he's given us as instructions. We pick and choose the parts we like and don't like, and then we just kind of like reshape everything into the thing we want. Like if they had done that with the tabernacle, like they would have been destroyed because God's presence would come to settle there and his holiness would have, you know, destroyed them. And we luckily, because of Jesus's work on the cross, like we've been made right with God. He's atoned for us. Like we can be in his presence with boldness without fear but there's still this importance that we have to get this right we have to do it the way that god said and um i just i don't know i think this is like if you don't get anything else from this morning this is like the thing to get is like we can't mess this up (laughs) like we have to be able to read scripture and understand what scripture says and understand what god wants from us and get it right and stick to it and not try to rewrite the gospel the way we want to rewrite the gospel so that it sounds more, you know, palatable or whatever it is. Um, and I'm actually kind of in, like, as we're building the church, we have to build the church right. We got to get this right when we gather together. And I'm, I'm excited because the last few weeks of August and the first few weeks of September, we're going to take five weeks and we're going to talk about what it looks like to build the church the way that God wants the church built. Um, and I'm excited about that series for two reasons. One, because we have to get this right. But also because we get to hear a number of different people from the church teach. Like, it won't be just John and Tim. It'll be a number of leaders. So we get to hear from lots of people. So that'll be fun. But it's it's so important that we get it right. And then in the fall, we're also um, starting uh, these classes. We're calling it the Academy because um, we couldn't come up with a better name and it sounds good. Um, but uh, we're, we're like the first the first set of classes is going to be just understanding the Bible. Like we're calling it the Christian story, and it's like how do you study the Bible? What is the Bible really saying, and why is that important? I mean, because we have to get that. And then there's going to be classes on sound doctrine and church history, and because like, there's all these things that we need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to be grounded in it because there's, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's actually like really bad theology floating around out there. Um, there is, trust me. Go on the internet. It's everywhere. Um, <laughs> but these, there's these ideas about who God is and who we are and how we relate to God and, and why Jesus had to die and the authority of Scripture and all these things. And these are ideas that sound good on the surface, but if you follow them out to where they lead, it does not lead us closer to God. It leads us far, far away from Him. It leads us into idolatry and it leads us into basically worshiping ourselves and um and we have to know what's true 
so that when we see the things that are untrue, we can say, wait, no, that's not the way that God said to do it. Um, we have to be committed to being a people that does things the way that God said because the details really do matter. Um, and that's who I want us to be. I want us to be a people who are characterized by um, God's presence among us. We're characterized by doing things the way God wants us to do it. We're characterized by people as a people who, like, actively we want to participate in what God's doing out of obedience because we want to, not because we feel like we have to. Um, and so, um, actually, that's kind of where I'm going to end. There's the last few verses in the book of Exodus 40, or in, the chap- in chapter 40 there, that, so after the people bring all the stuff to Moses, and then Moses is like, okay, here's how we're going to set this up. And they actually build the tabernacle in the middle of the desert. And they get it all set up. And when it's all done, exactly as how God had commanded, um, these are the verses of like what happens next. So maybe we can all stand up, and I'm going to read this. And we'll read this kind of as a, this is the picture of what happened in Israel, but maybe we can read it more as like, hey, God, can this be a picture of who we are as a people? Um, so... So after the tabernacle's all set up and everything's good, then, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. So I want us to be a people that when God says move, we move. And when he says, okay, just sit right here for a bit. We stay right here for a bit. And that His presence that, like, is in the center of our community where we're gazing on Him day and night. We see Him, that we know He's there and He, and we get our cues from Him. It's like, okay, that's what God said. That's what we're going to do. Um, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that. Um, and if you agree, you can agree with me as I'm praying. So, dear Lord, I just, uh, Father, I just thank you. Thank you that you um, have made a way for us to be in right relationship with you through Jesus, that um, our sins have been atoned for. Jesus, we're just so thankful that you obediently went to the cross uh, on our behalf and that you listened to the Father and that you, um, because of the joy set before you, you endured great suffering because it was your joy that you would give your life for us. And we're just so thankful for that. We just ask God that you'd help us to be a people who is content in the circumstances that you've placed us in, that we would look to you for our provision and that we would look to you um, for our security. We uh, ask that you would provide us with everything that we need to be obedient to you. We know you have, but we just ask again that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would transform our hearts and make us into people who have hearts that want to obey you. We want to repent. Help us to be people who are quick to confess and quick to turn to you. Helps to be a people that looks to you, that um, that moves when you move and stands still when you stand still. Help us to not go running after our own plans, but to know that your plan is far better than anything that we could dream up. We uh, we want to just be committed to to the plan that you have for not only for all of creation, but for all of eternity. You have a great plan, or you you have this desire to have a people, a people that can dwell with you. 
and people that can worship you. And we want to be those people, Lord. So we're looking forward to the future when we can be in your presence um, and see you fully. But now, Lord, as we're here and you've called us into doing hard work, you've called us into obedience to you, we ask that you would help us. Help us build your church. Help us, uh, help us serve one another well. Help us put your glory on display, Lord. And we just, uh, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.